Well, it is Memorial Day tomorrow, and I just want to take a moment to remember, we recognize that uh, we all live, meet freely, worship freely, because there are those who sacrifice their lives at the altar of freedom, and uh, I don't think we should take it lightly, and I'm thankful for a holiday like Memorial Day where it causes us to pause and remember those who have given a costly gift for your freedom and my freedom. G.K. Chesterton, the theologian, wrote this, courage is almost a contradiction in terms. You see, it means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Isn't that so true? Ronald Reagan, in a speech, said, if And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions, we must strive to keep faith with them and with the vision that led them to battle and to final sacrifice. I've uh, traveled to many different national cemeteries, um, France, Philippines, been to battlefields, including the Alamo. And not only is it sobering to be there and to consider those who have given the most costly gift for us, but as you walk through those areas and you see the names on the gravestones, you just think, how can we honor their lives? And truly, it's by living in freedom and by maintaining freedom in a free place. On January 25th, 2008, and I have a picture here. Miller's special forces team was on a reconnaissance patrol near the Pakistani border when they came under fire. The first attack was quelled after calling for close air support, but soon after insurgents opened up with heavy machine guns. Miller's team captain was seriously wounded early in the battle. Completely disregarding his own safety, he ran into the hell of bullets from over 100 enemy fighters to give his team an opportunity to escape to covered positions. Even after being shot in his upper torso, he ignored the wound and ran over open ground, ultimately killing at least 10 insurgents and wounding dozens more, according to his award citation. Five members of his patrol had been wounded, but his team had survived. President Barack Obama said at the award presentation, and one of his teammates surely spoke for all of them when he said of Rob, I would not be alive today if it not for his ultimate sacrifice. Robert Miller, Special Forces, was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously on October 6, 2010. This has nothing to do with our sermon, the Bible today. It just has to do with remembering those who have given for us. And uh, I want to take a moment, uh, as we did in the earlier services, and maybe there is one who you know and you'd like to say their name, We'd like to take a moment and just remember those who have, have sacrificed for us. So if you have a name that you'd like to share, please share that and we're going to give God thanks. I didn't, didn't expect the service would have as many. The earlier services, we had quite a few. Well, let's thank God for our freedom and thank God for these and ask God's comfort upon those loved ones who have, uh, will be also remembering the people who have sacrificed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful freedom. And God, we know that freedom is not free. It's very costly. Lord, you purchased freedom for us from sin and from death upon that cross. And we're so grateful for you. And Lord, as new creations, we understand this idea. And so, Lord, we thank you now for those who have sacrificed their freedom that we might live, that we might be a free people, and, Lord, that we might have the ability to pursue noble things and godly things. Lord, we pray that uh, we'd be faithful to live out our days in honor of not only their lives but of you, that we might spread the gospel message to those who are still in, in captivity. We thank you, Lord. We pray for your comfort upon each and every family member who lost a loved one on this, in this uh, terrible sacrifice for freedom. But we do pray that they'd be greatly comforted knowing that their loved one purchased freedom for all of us today. And we recognize that. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, guys. Uh, Benny and Hidardo, are you here? Why don't you guys come up while Jason's helping me with an announcement? Come on, Jason. Help me out real fast. All right, Jason, what do you want to announce? You need to go to Bunny, go to Barbecue right there. Just go to Bunny oh, Station. Oh, he's, uh, he's getting ahead of us. So don't forget to sign up for the midweek dinner. That's on Sunday night. But then on Wednesday, June 9th, uh, we are doing a police barbecue at the Orange PD Police Station. Uh, so if you are available, by the way, those times are not quite accurate. Uh, it's going to be much longer than that. And so if you are available, we'd appreciate your help. Uh, Shar Korsval is kind of leading um, the signups and uh, all that we need done. Uh, we do need uh, people who barbecue to help out with barbecue. So usually we do uh, brisket, pulled pork, tri-tip, chicken, of course, if you're going to volunteer for brisket or, chi- or uh, pulled pork, you've got to plan ahead. Usually it's an all-night smoke for me, uh, but I would love to have you guys help out with that. So uh, please call uh, Char Korsval or sign up at the church office. And uh, it's a way that we say thank you to our police officers. Last year we couldn't do it because of the pandemic, but uh, when we uh, called them up and we're like, hey, are we ready to do this yet? They were really excited. So uh, we're going to go and serve them on June 9th. And then uh, VBS registration is due June 13th. If you have uh, uh, preschoolers through sixth grade, it looks like most of our families are on vacation this weekend. I'm, I'm just going to guess that by what's going on. But uh, make sure to let them know that they need to sign up by June 13th, register. And potty train three-year-olds on up. That's an important information there. Got to be potty trained. Now, you can bring them if they're not potty trained, but you got to take care of them. Uh, Yeah, I'm past that stage. Yes. So, uh, and then, of course, we need VBS volunteers, Vacation Bible School volunteers. Uh, We need uh, all teens to adults, anybody who's willing. It's fun and rewarding no matter what the age we need everything from snacks to games to the different stations. Uh, so please, if you're interested in volunteering, there should be a sign-up outside in the courtyard. You can also talk to Megan Shores, and she'll get you signed up. Graduation Sunday is June 13th, so we're going to be honoring all of our graduates. If you have a loved one who's commencing or graduating, please get their pictures in. If it's sixth grade, junior high, high school graduation, college, or even a trade school, We'd love to honor them and recognize them for uh, what they've done. So uh, now if they don't get, if you don't get their picture in, you don't let us know about them, it's no longer all our fault. We've passed the blame on to you. So there we go. I wash my hands of this. (laughs) Uh, Days for Girls, uh, we are have a team going to Uganda to help out with Hope Home, uh, the the children's home there in in, uh, Mukono. And uh, the team that is going, uh, one of the things that they do for outreach is they create these backpacks called Days for Girls. They're actually a menstrual care pack. Now, I know for most of us, we don't really think about this, but in uh, a lot of the villages and the poor areas, especially of Uganda, when women or teenagers are on their menstrual cycle, they're just told to go sit on cardboard. Uh, They can't go to school. They can't do anything. And uh, so these kits that we put together have uh, the ability to be reusable and be washed. Uh, we do a little bit of training. They talk to the, the women, talk to women about this issue. It's actually a major outreach we do because it opens up the doors for talking about the love of Christ and uh, value. And uh, it's, I've actually been really kind of moved by seeing how the women respond and teenage girls to receiving these uh, backpacks. So uh, if you have, uh, we're looking for hotel-sized soaps and washcloths. So if you have some, now we got a big donation of hotel-sized soaps today. Uh, our goal is to bring 500 of these care packs to Uganda. So if you can um, come up with some washcloths, and I believe also they need some women's underwear uh, to go with them too. I just got told that today. Uh, if you don't know what to buy or whatever, just talk to the church office and the church office. Corey will talk to somebody and they'll work it out. So they'll get you all the details. So that's uh, the announcements. Now, uh, Benny and Gerardo, is Gerardo here? No, he's not here, no. He's just in the parking lot. Okay. I don't see him. All right. You all good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. He's good. 
<laughs> well, Benny's here. So uh, we're going to pray for Benny and Gerardo Sanchez. Uh, they are leaving for Costa Rica on Thursday. Thursday. And they're going to visit our two missionaries. Well, actually, kind of three. Uh, Susan Grosser and Sarita Bautista in uh, near near the capital in San Miguel. Is it right? San Miguel? Caprio. Caprio. Okay. And uh, then they're also going to the north to visit Horatio and his wife Esther. Now, these are missionaries that we've supported for 20-some uh, years, 20-plus years, uh, with Christ for the City International. And uh, we've, I've actually been trying to figure out a time to visit them for over five years now, but it just keeps not happening. Door doesn't open up. Finally, door opened up, so Benny and Gerardo are going to visit them. And uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, you're going to be bringing them some needed supplies. Uh, what, what are you bringing them, Benny? Mainly what we're bringing them is technical equipment for the new center that they're building. And she needed ace bandages. She actually said during the pandemic, God supplied all of their needs for medication and all the other things they needed. Now, Susan and Sarita do like a health clinic. Yeah, medical clinic. And they actually are training uh, women uh, with their children birthing. They do actual medical things, you know. Yeah, she's a nurse. Yeah, so they do all of that. And just the supplies they needed were that. But with this building, I actually contacted them and said, is there anything technical you need? Because that's my background. And she says, oh, yeah, let me get you in touch with our guy. They're trying to do wireless on this whole building because they use computers to train their, the uh, children that are there and uh, the adults. Okay. So that's a, for them, that's a pretty, pretty important thing. And they work really in the poor inner city areas right. of Costa Rica. Honduran refugees. Okay. And I know that they also run youth camps and take yeah. them out for that. So Which was a couple of things they could not do last, well, this year. Right. Um, but last year they got to, because it was before the pandemic, but this year they couldn't do and it. And then, then Horatio and Esther will be up in the north. So you guys are going to be at 10 days. Yeah. And we're going to do as much as we can there. Because they asked if I had an agenda. I said, no, we just want to come and. Be of service, see what we can see, so I can just come back to you guys and let you know what God is doing. And encourage them, come alongside them. So uh, we want to pray for you guys. You're going to be doing a lot of uh, traveling from north to, or central to north. So, uh, and then uh, just pray that uh, it would be a wonderful time in getting to know these missionaries better. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Benny and I think for Gerardo. Lord, we just pray your blessing be upon them as they go out, Lord. We pray, Lord, that uh, they would be a wonderful, um, uh, just uplifting, encouraging group to our, these missionaries who have been working so long. We pray, dear God, that you'd uh, also protect them as they go, keep them safe, their health, uh, and travel uh, to and from on roads. We just ask that you'd be with them. And, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, we, you, know, you already know, God, what they're going to do and how they're going to serve and and. and all these things you've set before them. But we pray, Lord God, that you would continue to do a mighty work through these missionaries we send out. And uh, more than anything, that's, I'm sure Sarita and Susan and Horatio and Esther will be so blessed to have someone come alongside and just say, we're here to be alongside and encourage you. So we pray that that would uh, translate through. And we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Benny. And uh, let's see, and, uh, well, you're probably going to come back from Costa Rica and we're going to send you out again. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, this is kind of exciting because we've been waiting for a year. We've been grounded with our mission, so this, <laughs> this, this is exciting. But, uh, and then uh, we're going to be having a, a team going to Uganda, so that'll be in about a month. We'll be sharing about them. All right, let's get into the Word, as Jason just said. He got us on the Word. All right. We're in 2 Samuel tonight, continuing on. And uh, there we go. Get my notes up here. Okay. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19. And we'll flip over there. So we've been looking at the life of David as we've been going through Samuel. And uh, just to remind you where we're at, if you haven't been here, uh, David was chased out of Jerusalem, out of his kingdom by Absalom, his son. 
in this coup to take over. And as a result of this, David went on the run with his wives. Uh, his concubines were left behind. Uh, Absalom uh, embarrassed them by letting all Israel know that he had taken them. Uh, Absalom in his pride was convinced uh, by one of David's spies to uh, make a fatal battlefield error, which resulted in Absalom's death. Joab had killed Absalom. And uh, so there's actually been a great victory, but that's where we're picking up this week. So let's pray and then we'll get into the word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We pray your blessing be upon it. God, we, uh, we learn so much from these men. And Lord, we thank you that how, how much of the story you've given to us that we might consider and think about attitudes and actions and how we might bring glory to you and live in faith and walk after you. So, Lord, we pray now that you'd admonish us, encourage us, uh, Lord, that you'd convict us of sin and that we might bring glory to you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Absalom has died. And uh, if you back up to chapter 18, verse 33, it says, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept as he went in. As he went, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. That's where we left off. Let's look at verse, chapter 19, verse 1. And Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son, and the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed still away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So David is weeping. He's grieving the death of his son. Now, we know that David has just seen his household fall apart. Obviously, uh, Absol- he's, he's lost one son as a result of his sin, the, the baby who was born uh, as a result of his sin with Bathsheba. But then on top of that, his other son raped his daughter, and now and Absalom killed him. And now we have this mess of Absalom trying to take over the kingdom. And David has just never dealt with any of it well. And, and as Absalom, as the news of Absalom's death comes back to him, he just moves into this state of grief. Now, I want to point out to you is how the people are responding to David's grief. If you look at verse 3, it says, And the people stole back into the city that day, as people who are ashamed still away when they flee in battle. The idea there is that they're sneaking back into the city. Here, normally, if you have a great victory in battle... Uh, when you come home, what might that look like? Well, it would look like people cheering. It would hold your head up high. You've done this. You've been successful. You've fought with honor. You've done what, what uh, the king has called you to do. But that's not the way these people are coming back into the city. They're, they're actually kind of hiding into the city. They're sneaking into the city. As it says, they stole back. Uh, as, and they're feeling like, they're deserters in some way, that they've done something dishonorable and something wrong. Well, chapter, verse 5 says, Then Joab, that's obviously David's general, and one of his mighty men who was, has been with him this whole time, came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, And that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your mouth until now. Then the king arose and sat in the gate. And they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So 
Joab speaks truth into David's life, and Joab is a rough guy. You don't like Joab much, but you have to respect Joab as a general, as a fighting man. He seems very much fearless in all that he does. He, he's always been faithful with uh, leading the armies for David. He's always, if you remember when uh, Joab was about ready to conquer a city, he called David and said, hey, come, because what I'm about to conquer, I'll take credit for it, or you need to get here and take the credit for it. And so Joab's been real faithful with David. He's a hard man, and we're going to see he's kind of a double-dealing guy for sure with his enemies. He's, he's not somebody to be respected that way. But here he gives David some very, very solid advice. He lets David know that he's disgracing all the servants, all those people who have fought for him, all the people whose lives have been uprooted by this uh, coup that Absalom has created, his concubines who were brought to shame on the rooftop of David's house. He's dishonoring all these people for this man who did evil for David's son. And David and Joab speaks this truth, saying that, look, we all perceive, I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. They're basically like, oh, why are we even here? You're acting like we're the enemies, that we've done something wrong. You're bringing shame on us and dishonor. And these men who have fought for you, they're not going to risk their lives for you anymore. They're not going to go out on your behalf anymore. If, if this is the way you're going to treat them when they've been given a victory. Now, this is a, a, a good advice, and I think it's important because sometimes when people are mourning, uh, we kind of tend to think that uh, you, you just have to agree with their mourning in all ways. Mourning is a hard, terrible thing, how, how the cycles of mourning and grief, how they go through people, but I think it's important for the Christian to understand how we mourn. Uh, go, turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians four thirteen. Paul gives some very good uh, advice here. Um, he gives us the truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So there is an aspect of mourning too much. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean when your grief, your mourning completely takes you out of the calling that God has put upon your life for bringing glory to him, honoring him in all things, when you you can't even uh, handle encouraging the living and doing what God has called you to do while still alive in this body. Remember, Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yet uh, when grief and mourning takes over an individual in such a way like it does David, where David can't even honor his troops, he can't recognize what God has done, what the troops have done. He's so obsessed with the death of his son that, that he's completely incapacitated by it and he's not fulfilling what God has called him to be. God has called David to, and anointed David to be the king of all of Israel. He's not doing that now. He's just mourning. And certainly there's a time for mourning and a time for grief. But when grief and mourning overtake your life, it's unhealthy. And actually, I would challenge you too to consider maybe it's even verging on idolatry. Do you understand what I'm saying? Grief and mourning can verge on idolatry when we cannot function, we, we cannot move on beyond to honor Christ in this life. And Paul tells us that, that, that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. No, we, we have an eternal perspective on life. So certainly, Grief is uh, understandable. Mourning happens. It takes years, years at times, but it certainly shouldn't incapacitate us from the calling of God in our lives. 
It shouldn't make us check out from the land of the living. It shouldn't bring us to hurt ourselves or uh, uh, believe the lies of the enemy to uh, take us out of what God has called us to do. Grief uh, has to end at some point, and mourning has to turn into remembrance. And that's what David hasn't done. Now, just for a moment, you can turn back to 2 Samuel 19. Just for a moment, think about this. What if David would have grieved like this for Uriah? Why didn't David have this kind of a grief for Uriah? Absalom, after all, murdered his son, and then, and then he himself stole all of David's concubines, slept with him on the roof of David's house, hunted his father down, his father down and intended in every way to kill and destroy his father. Now, I recognize that Absalom is David's son. I understand that uh, David is a father, and he's obviously that, that love for a child and the desire for sacrifice for a child is important. But why didn't David have this attitude when Uriah, when he thought about killing Uriah? And that's one of the things that shows you that this grief that David is going through is not healthy, it's not godly, and it's not right. So there is a way to grieve that's right, there's a way to mourn that's right, but certainly this is not it. And so Joab calls him on it, and he's right. Joab's absolutely right as he confronts David on this. And so he says, for I swear by the Lord... uh, If you did not go out, not one will stay with you this night. So basically, David, get out of here, get to the city gate, greet your troops. And that will be worse for you than if all that had befallen from your your youth until now. And basically, if you don't get out there, the things that you're going to suffer are way worse than everything you've gone through. And we've been through a lot with David. Then the king arose and sat at the gate. They told all the people, saying, there is the king sitting at the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So this is good. Job kind of snaps David out of it, gets David to the gate, and David, uh, we're going to see as a result, David returns to Jerusalem. Look at verse 9. Now all the people in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel saying, the king saved us from the hand of the, our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom he anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So basically, the people are all starting to try to figure out, wait, who's the king? What's going on? We all supported Absalom. Absalom's now dead. There's no king here. What's going on? Who's where? Uh, They're starting to ask these questions. Verse 11, so King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his, to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not bone of my bone and flesh and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not the commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return you all your servants. So basically, David hears this rumbling going on, who's our king, who's going to be our king? Absalom's dead, we all swore allegiance to Absalom, Uh, what's going on? So King David sent this word to Zadok and Abiathar saying, listen, why is this all coming back to me? I'm your king. And I want you to realize I'm going to make Amasa the head of the armies of, of Israel. Now, Amasa was the general who swore allegiance to Absalom. So David's saying, I'm going to replace Joab with Absalom, or with Amasa. Now, this is going to come back. We're going to see next week uh, Joab doesn't take too kindly to this idea and m- makes it work in his favor. But... Um, so they, they respond to David saying, come back. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan and Judah, came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shammai, the son of Gerah, uh, a Benjaminite who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, 
and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. So if you remember Shemaiah in 2 Samuel 16, as David left and crossed the Jordan, Shemaiah was throwing rocks and cursing David. And David's, one of his, David's soldiers wanted to just behead this guy. He just wanted to do away with him. But David said, no, no. And if you remember, David basically recognized that, no, this is all the judgment of God. Uh, this is, I'm deserving of all this. So he said, let, let Shammai live. And they continued on. Well, Shammai has heard that King David is coming back. So he races ahead with some of his servants and and uh, he crosses the Jordan ahead, and that's where we get here. Now Shammai, the son of Gerah, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph, to go down and to meet my Lord, the king. So Shammai, as he comes back, he catches the king and he says, I've sinned. Uh, I want to bring your attention to the word impute. Impute uh, means to place blame upon, to give to you. Now, uh, we use this term more probably in the insurance industry. It's probably used more if, uh, who's, uh, who do we impute fault to? for a car accident or something of that sort. It's looking at how much fault is imputed to a person or placed upon. And so Shammai here is saying, don't impute to me iniquity. Now he's recognizing here he's done something wrong, but he also recognizes that if, if the king charges him with this iniquity, he's done for. Now I, I actually appreciate Shammai in, in, in this effort because we see that Shammai realizes that he's wronged King David. He realizes at this point that King David is the Lord's anointed. And he confesses his sin. And he comes out first and foremost knowing that King David could say, off with his head. Take him out. Be done with him. But again, we see that David is a king after God's own heart. And it's a beautiful picture of King David as he responds to Shammai, look at verse 21. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shammai be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. Now Abishai wanted to kill him the first time. Verse 22, and David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Basically, Abishai, I'm in charge here. I'm king. Why are you coming against me? Uh, shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shammai, you shall not die. And this king swore to him. I love the verse, verse 23, or sorry, verse 22. Uh, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? The reason I love this verse, because David's saying, I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I don't have to go and kill Shammai for what he did or for cursing me or throwing rocks at me. I don't have to go and fight for my position. If God has, has anointed me, if God has called me to be the king of Israel, then I'm the king of Israel. And I don't have to go around crushing anybody who speaks about me illy or somebody who curses me or somebody who's done wrong. I don't have to take vengeance upon people. Because God has established me as king, and I know it. And Abishai, I don't need you to tell me that I'm the king of Israel. I love the confidence that David has in his calling. Even amidst the fault and the fleeing and dealing with the punishment, David has this great confidence where he himself doesn't feel that he has to fight for, establish himself, or make himself king. It's something he learned in his youth. And it's something he's held on to and continued in his older age. So David says, I'm the king. I understand it. And he tells Abishai, you shall not die. Well, let's go on to the second uh, adversary. If you remember Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth has a beautiful story earlier on in 2 Samuel. Mephibosheth 
was a son of Jonathan, uh, David's friend. And, jo- and David had sworn to Jonathan. It's a beautiful story about how David, once he became king, sought out to look for one of the descendants of Jonathan. Not only did he find him, but he found out that Mephibosheth was crippled and, and lame in his feet. And he brought Mephibosheth into the palace. And, and we had read in, I think it was 2 Samuel 9, that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table all of his days. That, that David not, not only said, okay, I'm going to bring you into my household. You're going to eat at my table. You're gonna, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you all these gifts. I'm going to give you servants to work that land since you can't do it yourself. I'm going to take care of you all of your days and you will be at my table. It's a beautiful picture of Christ and his church. It really is. I mean, just the whole idea that David has, or Christ has uh, come to us, these, these crippled individuals, spiritually crippled individuals, that, that even when we try to do good and honor God, at times it's no good. You know, even when we uh, think we're doing something, we find ourselves... Uh, later on we look back and go, boy, I was really blasphemous in that, or God, I had a rebellious attitude. We're just crippled spiritually. Uh, and we, we, even, even when we think we're good, we're not good. We're dead in our sins and transgressions, yet Christ and his love for us calls us, seeks us out. We know that no man can come to the knowledge of salvation without the Spirit calling him and opening up the door. And then Christ rewards us. He, he calls us, and we know that we're going to sit at his table, that wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb, that our lives are safe and hidden with him for eternity. So Mephibosheth is a beautiful story, but the problem was is when David in 2 Samuel 16 was leaving Jerusalem, he had called for Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth's servant Ziba shows up, and Ziba says, oh, Mephibosheth has turned against you. That, that, that guy has, has taken the opportunity. He, he's not with you. And, uh, and then David said, okay, fine. All the lands that were Mephibosheth's, I'm giving to you, Ziba. So now as David comes back, we're going to find this interaction with Mephibosheth. Verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So he must have looked pretty raggedy here. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And Mephibosheth answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So Mephibosheth says, I was deceived. My servant was supposed to go get the donkey for me. And he never came back. He left me there, and he went and told you that I had traded sides. Now, we could say that, oh, Mephibosheth is a quick thinker, but I think Mephibosheth is actually telling the truth because as he goes on, he says, look, I, I, I'm, I'm excited that you're back, but the fact is, is I was a dead man before you called me. All of my father's household, and we remember that when David started this search, for the sons of Saul, uh, they thought, Mephibosheth thought, I'm a dead man. This king is going to come and kill me. He's coming for vengeance. He's going to wipe me out. And instead he ends up at the king's table. So Mephibosheth says, listen, I, you do what pleases you, David, because I was already a dead man before you came and it was you who established me at your table. I'm not even going to go on defending myself I have nothing more to say on the matter. I was deceived. Uh, I, I like that Mephibosheth says, what right have I still to cry any more to you, king? You're the king. Does it really matter what I say? I was deceived. You make the choice. You're wise. 
And so the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. So basically he said, okay, I already told Ziba he can have half the land. David just decides I'm not even going to sort this out. So he's going to get half now and you're going to get half. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather let him take it all. And as much as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Rather let him take it all. You get this idea that Mephibosheth would rather be in the presence of the king than have all the land. I wonder, is that the heart of us? Would we rather be in the presence of our king than have the things of this world? It's, it's a question to ask yourself. It, it is one of my desires to be in the presence of my king more than having the riches, the comforts, the pleasures, all these things that we chase after all the time. What about just being in the presence of my king? And I would, I would challenge you on that. Maybe there's sin in your life that you're toying around with and you've allowed it to be an ongoing habit in some way. And you're forfeiting the presence of the king for a temporal uh, satisfaction of the flesh. Some temporal satisfaction, temporary satisfaction that, that you're, you're just, man, I just want to continue on in this sin. And you're willing to trade this temporary satisfaction of sin for the presence of the king. That's not Mephibosheth's heart. Mephibosheth's heart is take it all. Shouldn't that all be our cry before King Jesus? You can have all the world. Just give me Jesus. Right? Just give me Jesus. I, take it all. I just want the presence of the king. So Mephibosheth gives this beautiful message. And he, he's, the, he's happy the king has come back in peace to his own house. All right. Next, next individual that David wants to square up with. Barzillai. The Gileadite. Now, Barzillai the Gileadite, uh, say that 10 times fast. He was one of the ones who came to David in Monaheim and brought with these needed supplies, food, beds, lamps, all these things. He, he brought everything to David and supported uh, David and his people who had fled. Um, and so Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. And basically David's saying, I owe you. I owe you big time, and I, need to, I'm, I want to reward you for what you did for your faithfulness and for supplying our needs. But Barzillai said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? Basically, I'm old and I, I'm going to die. I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of a singing man and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord, the king? I love this. You know, Barzillai has this perspective. Uh, he recognizes I'm towards the end of things. I honestly, living in the court of the king, being around the king, all these sorts of things, that was yesterday. <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm just happy to be faithful. And so he says, um, he says, uh, why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? I don't need it. So he says, please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Uh, sorry, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. So Chimham, we learn in Chronicles, is more than likely actually the son of Barzillai. But I like that, that Barzillai says, listen, I'm content. I don't want to pursue after these things anymore. Just, you know, I'll, I'll go with you across the Jordan. I'll, I'll see you across the Jordan. But let me go back 
and uh, being uh, be near my father's grave, and and I'm all just in my life in peace and contentment. Uh, you know, it's interesting because he's a very wealthy man, the text tells us, which means Chim Ham is also a very wealthy man. He has a lot to inherit. But Barzillai has, has, lets us in on something interesting here, and that's he's content. He, he's, he's happy to just, listen, I, I've given to the king. I don't need a reward for it. I've been faithful. I've done what I'm supposed to do as a servant to the king. You know, I'm okay. I, I'm good. And I, I don't really want to be involved in king things. I don't want to be involved in politics at 80 years old. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> huh. I should probably send this to a few people. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh, <laughs> you're like, sorry, I was, uh, I've heard some people talking like, why are you still in politics? Just retire. Um, but anyway, uh, so he says, uh, just do, do what seems right to you for my son, Jim Ham, and he, he'll be your servant. So the king answered, Jim Ham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. Um, and so they said goodbye. All right, verse 40, this is going to set us up for next week. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or have given us any, or has he given us any gift? So basically what's happening is half of Israel's there, half of Judah. Judah's one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Israel's getting a little jealous here. They're saying, hey, why is it that Judah showed up to take you across the Jordan, and you've accepted them and received them. They're all there giving you this, and yet us Israelites, we're kind of like second-class citizens here. Well, the people of Judah respond, hey, what's the deal? He's our relative. We love this guy. And he's never given us any gift. He's never given us anything other than what, you, what the rest of us have received. So the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. So basically, uh, you have a share and we have ten shares. So we get more of David than you do. (coughs) Nobody can just be happy that the king's back, right? Now Israel's starting to argue. So we have more right than you do to David than you do. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So basically, Israel and Judah are getting into this battle and they're fighting with each other and they're claiming who has the right to David the king and we all want the right to David the king. And they're fighting and this is going to set us up for the future of the kingdom. We'll see next week that a rebellion breaks out. But we're going to see that uh, David's grandson is the end of the United Kingdom. David's grandson, we'll see, will he, during his time, the kingdom breaks up and it will never again be united. Well, at least it was never again united until uh, 1948 when Israel became a sovereign nation again. Uh, but we're still waiting for the throne of David to be established again here during the millennial reign of Christ. But until that time, we see that this quarreling about claim to David <clears throat> is uh, causing problems and division and strife. And I want to point out to you that, I'm sorry, I have to cough real fast. Thanks. Um, it's not COVID. So you have to qualify anytime you cough or sneeze. We're okay. 
God has provided the king to Israel and Judah. God has anointed the king. And why has God anointed a king? Do you guys remember 1 Samuel? The people cried out, we want a king like the other nations. And so God said, you're not going to like having a king because the king's going to take from you. But because you asked for it, fine, I'll give it. And so he first gives Saul. And then he gives a king after his own heart. A good king, a king that God has put in place, is good for the people of Israel and for Judah. And certainly David has treated, uh, with the exception of the sin with Uriah and Bathsheba, David has treated the people of Israel very fairly. And he's treated the people of Judah very fairly. In fact, when he came into power, he didn't uh, create vengeance. He didn't cause all sorts of problems. He wasn't hunting down anybody who who uh, tried to speak against him. David was a very good king to both Israel and for Judah. But people start talking and people cause problems and they start fighting over things that are not theirs in the first place. And uh, when we see this group of Israel and Judah in comparison to Barzillai, the man who's just content, I'm good, I'm old, I don't need to go back with you, David. Uh, let me just go back to my home. I was happy to supply the need. I was happy to support my king as your servant. And then we see these men who are starting to fight over the position of the king and who gets the favor of the king. We see the sin nature develop. And I want to challenge you as we close out tonight's message that you don't fight for anything, but you trust God for everything. You believe God for your future. You trust in him, and as soon as you consider all things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ, you'll put yourself in a much healthier position for life. You're no longer going to be constantly grieved over every shortfall or hardship in life, but rather you're going to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How do you want me to respond? And that's the wonderful thing about Paul's attitude and the disciples' attitude is Paul says, I consider all things a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's all I care about. I want to know Christ more. And the more I know Christ, the more content I find myself in this life. Isn't it interesting that the more you pursue after things or the more you race for prestige, power, whatever, it's all fleeting and it's never enough. Certainly we can see those uh, 80-year-olds in Washington who just pursue power for power's sake and let other people be hurt as a result of it. But the fact is, is everybody's going to die. That power is going to be lost, and they'll never be content anyway. So for us Christians, we pursue Christ. We take the attitude of Barzillai that, no, I'm your servant. I'm happy to serve you, God. I don't need anything. And in due time, those who humble themselves before the Lord will be lifted up by him. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. And we thank you, Lord, that as you promised David, you kept your promises. Lord, David was a humble shepherd who submitted himself to you, pursued after you, sung songs about you, gave praise to you, Lord, and even humbly accepted your punishment. Uh, Lord, what a wonderful example. God, we want to be men who and, and women who are content with you, who are pursuing you, and, and content with just knowing you. Lord, forgive us for those things that we've pursued after, chased after, wanted more than just having our king with us and being in the presence of our king. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you've done for us on that cross. We thank you that... Uh, that you've given us life and hidden us away with you. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. This evening, we want to take a moment and uh, partake in the elements of the Lord's table. And so we have little cups there in the pews in front of you. And I know it, the process has become a little more sterilized with uh, the pandemic and everything, but I think what we need to remember here is why. Why do we have this remembrance? Well, it's really what Mephibosheth said. 
It's being in the presence of our King. It's receiving our King. It's remembering our King and making Him a part of us. So before we get into taking these elements, if you have a sin to confess, an attitude to forsake, I want to give you just a moment to pause and, and pray. So let's, let's go ahead and do that for a moment. Just like Shammai did as he came and said, don't impute into me iniquity, for I've sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for dying for us on the cross. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins and God, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon us. And we, we remind ourselves that our salvation is dependent upon you who died for us and gave your life for us and took our unrighteousness upon yourself, giving us to you, giving us your righteousness. And the night before our Lord's death, he sat with the disciples and he took the bread and after giving thanks he broke the bread and said take and eat this is my body broken for you and in the same manner he took the cup and said this is the new covenant of my blood which is shed for you Take and drink. And we can be thankful that our God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. That he won't break a covenant that he's made. And this covenant is made in the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He will be faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And as long as you do this, you both remember the Lord's death and his coming. Maranatha. An internal perspective is essential to navigate through life. Uh, otherwise, life is just too hard with a tempor temporal perspective. Moses writes a psalm, Psalm 90, and he, he considers the eternity of God. And he considers the, that, that for God a thousand years is like a moment. But he goes on to say that the days of our lives are 70 years. Uh, and if by some reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Kind of a Pressing perspective when you think about it, that I work, I toil, I have sorrow, and then it's over. So Moses uh, responds near the end of the psalm with this, and let the beauty of the Lord our God come upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, we want an eternal perspective, and everything we do, we want it to be done unto you, and God will establish that with his beauty. Isn't that amazing? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Oh, uh, one other announcement. I'm, I, I'm so sorry. I forgot to announce this. I, uh, this Friday night at 6 p.m., we have some of the America's frontline doctors coming 
We're going to be showing the film Why we're scene telling people to go 2020. Home. Hold on, Bethany. We're going to be showing the film scene 2020. Uh, you can go online and see it. And part of it is there's been so much censorship this year. We want you to have an opportunity to see the other side. The frontline doctors, uh, Dr. Barkey and Dr. McDonald, will be available for a question and answer session after, uh, after the, the one-hour documentary. So I'd uh, love for you to join us at 6 p.m. this Friday night. All right, God bless you.